I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. The internet giant Google has set its sights on revolutionizing how researchers store, analyze, and share genomic data. The company recently entered into an agreement with the Broad Institute that allows it to integrate Broad's genomic analysis toolkit into Google Genomics. We spoke to David Glazer, Director of Engineering for Google, about its Google Genomics platform, the opportunity it sees in genomics, and what it's doing to help researchers turn vast amounts of data into actionable information. David, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Many people may be unaware of Google's working in genomics. Perhaps you you can start with an overview of what Google Genomics offerings are, where it fits into this world, and and what it's hoping to accomplish. That's a good question. Uh, And I think really the best way to think about it is that back all the way off and say, what is it that Google is good at and what is it that the world of life science uh, can use? And what we realized a couple of years ago is that Google's strengths in data science and the growing needs of the world of life science are a perfect fit for each other. And the reason for that is that biologists, for the first time really in history, have started to generate data at scale. And given that, that means that biologists and life science and people working in the in the field of health now, for the first time, need exactly what Google has spent the last 15 years getting good at, which is finding value in information. So what we're trying to do with our work in genomics is take our core strengths in finding the value in large amounts of information, apply that those strengths to this new domain of genomic data, life science data in general, but genomic data in particular, and use that to provide the tools to let the people working in the field do their work faster and better and get to breakthroughs and impact quicker. If Google does one thing well, it would be to help people find a specific piece of desired information within a large world of data. Is that analogous to the challenge of sorting through genomic data? How similar or different is, say, search compared to working with genomic data? I think there are some similarities, but I'd actually back off a step from search itself, and I'd go all the way back to Google's original mission statement, which has uh, stood the test of time remarkably well, and that is to organize the world's information and make it universally accessible and useful. So search, you know, finding a specific piece of desired information, like you said, is just one piece of what it takes to really take information and make it as useful as possible. You also have to provide the ability to store information at scale, to process it and transform it from one form to another, to explore it in many different ways, where search is one way, but there are all sorts of other kinds of analysis depending on the data to share information between people when it's shareable information. So there's a whole world of sorts of capabilities that people want to do with information to make it valuable. And if you look at Google, we are we have been applying those competencies, uh, not just in search, but also in mail and in Google Maps, for example, and Google YouTube. All of those different 
services that Google's been building over the years are built on a common data infrastructure level. And that common layer of infrastructure is what we were, we in Google Genomics have been able to apply to this new kind of data, this new category. And we're building, we've been building the new tools to understand the specific nuances of omics data, but we're building it on exactly the same general information tools that Google's been building. So one example is Google has a tool called Google BigQuery. It was originally built uh, five, ten years ago, not sure exactly, to help Google analyze internally our log files that keep track of whenever anyone clicks on a search result or whenever anyone clicks on any any Google service, to keep track of that and use it to see how our services are performing and improve the service. These log files would have billions of rows of entries if you think about how often people click on some Google service somewhere in the world. And we needed tools to to mine through all of that information and find the find the important value in that information and use it to improve our services. It turns out that exact same tool with a little bit of a little bit of adapting work that we've done works great for for searching through and finding the value in genomic variants. So the same underlying data management infrastructure and tools are being applied to this new area. And, and and that's really the commonality between what Google's been doing for 15 years and what we're adding on. You made reference a, a moment ago to how data-intensive biology has become genomes or data-intensive. Can you give us a sense of how much data a genome generates? And as genomes proliferate, what kind of storage and computing muscle is going to be needed to work with this information? Well, the you know the the facts first, facts and figures is for a single person. When I had my when I had my genome sequenced, when anyone has their genome sequenced, you, you take the tissue. If you do what's now the standard thirty x coverage whole genome sequence, the raw data that comes off the sequencer, which is then processed and analyzed, is about one hundred gigabytes for a person. And that gets then processed down to smaller, richer information, more concentrated information, which is used for downstream analysis. The good news is, although that's a pretty big number, and if you multiply that by a few billion people on Earth, you get a very big number, uh, that's an area where Google's infrastructure is an extraordinarily good fit. We did a little bit of math um, when we were starting out just to try to put it in context and said, so um, YouTube, people upload a lot of video to YouTube. And every minute, people are uploading about 300 hours of video to YouTube. Well, that works out to be about the equivalent of six whole genome sequences are being uploaded to YouTube every minute, just in terms of the size of the data. And the Google search index, which is which is large, the Google search index has you know a whole copy of the searchable web. The search index is over 100 petabytes, and that's the equivalent of about a million whole genome sequences. So genomes are very data intensive, and they do take a lot of storage and a lot of compute. That pure bulk side of storage and compute is a place where we really get to benefit from the scale that Google's users of YouTube and Google's users of mail and Google's users of search have have driven us to to build, and we get to make use of it in this new area. It's long been said in the world of healthcare big data that we're very good at generating data, but actionable information is another story. As the cost of sequencing continues to fall dramatically, the volume will rise, but why is it so hard to take that data 
and extract meaningful information? So that, that that's a deep, deep and important question. And I think that, you know, really the insight at the, the heart of the question is that there's a difference between a lot of data and big data with a capital B, capital D. And it's easy to have a lot of data. You just, you know, copy a lot of data around. But to actually get the value from it, you need the tools and the understanding and the capabilities to to actually organize that information and make it accessible and useful. And there's a chicken and egg where it's typically very hard to build the right tools to find the insights in in a large large corpus of information until you actually have a large corpus of information because you can't build the tools until you have the data. But you can't really, there's no real value in having the data until you've built the tools, which before you get started is a kind of chicken and egg problem. But what's happening now is that as the data is starting to arrive, as you said, as the cost of sequencing is continuing to fall, we're starting to get more and more of this data. There's now enough data to motivate building the good tools. And as the tools arrive, that motivates generating more data. So that virtuous cycle of more data means justifies creating more tools, which justifies gathering more data, is what's happening now. It's an exciting time to be working in the field. Now, one thing I'll add is that, uh, you know, know, I I tend to focus on the technical side because I'm an engineer by training. But in addition to needing the data and the tools, you also need the right policies. You also need the right uh, individual and, uh, and, and legal and social framework that encourages people to actually take this information and make it useful. So the data, the tools, and the policies together are evolving towards a world where we really will benefit from the, the, the new large amounts of genomic information. In many ways, genomics is a volume game to understand a single genome. You need many to which you can compare it. You're working with a a number of rather focused genomic studies. Is there any way this disparate work gets aggregated so that a study in a specific disease area may give insight into something wholly unrelated? That's a great question. And, uh, you know, I want to start by sort of strongly agreeing with the premise of the question. You know, Partly because, yes, you learn at n equals many. You learn by looking over large populations so that you can then treat and care at n equals one at a single individual. And the other, the other part that I strongly agree with is I sometimes put up a uh, slightly provocative slide if the, to any, uh, to any mathematicians in the audience and I say a thousand times a thousand is a lot smaller than a million. And what I mean by that is that if you have a thousand studies, each studying a thousand individuals, that's a good thing. But if you have the ability to look at those whole million individuals as one coherent uh, corpus that you can analyze together, that you can learn from together, that is much, much more valuable. And to do that, you need to, of course, have the data, but you also need to have the aggregation-friendly tools and policies. So you need to have consents where people who choose to make their data available for the benefit of all health and science can say so and then, and then add, and have every researcher be allowed to use that data, every qualified researcher. And you need to have tools and standards that mean that when researcher A has published an interesting data set and researcher B has published an interesting data set, researcher C can can analyze against both of those data sets together without having to copy and transform them over to, to, to work together. So um, 
we're, we're, you know, your question, we at Google are far from the only people to have realized that this is both a, a, a bottleneck and an opportunity. And a couple of years ago, many nonprofits came together and formed the Global Alliance for Genomics and Health. And that is their entire mission and their entire purpose is how can we put together, how can we collectively create the policy environment, the standards environment, the tools environment, so that all these different disparate pieces of work don't become silos. They instead feed into one large, useful-to-everybody corpus of information. So that that idea of what will it take to combine all of these different uh, different and, and combine is isn't is is a isn't exactly the right word. What will it take to allow people to learn from? The union of all of the different information from all of the different studies is a big piece of the way we're thinking about building what we're building. You recently entered into an agreement with the Broad Institute that allows you to integrate into Google Genomics Broad's Genomic Analysis Toolkit. What does this do and, and how significantly does this change the value of what Google Genomics provides researchers? I think there's a, you know, a big picture midterm answer and an immediate first step answer. So the big picture is what we're doing is we now have an opportunity for the world-leading life scientists at the Broad and the world-leading data scientists at Google and some of our collaborators in the Global Alliance. We're now able to work together and we expect this to result in an acceleration of the refinement and the expansion of the tools that we've been talking about by really combining the experts in these two fields, that kind of, of fusion when you get the, the bilingual creativity that happens when you take experts in two areas and have them work together is always a good thing. The first step in that is, as you said, making GATK, the Broad's Genomic Analysis Toolkit, making it available on Google Genomics. And what that does is it takes the industry-leading uh, secondary analysis tool and makes it available to everybody because they no longer have to set up their own computers to run it. They're welcome to. They no longer have to configure it themselves, although they're still welcome to. They can now choose to just say, I have my data. I want to analyze it. I'm going to ask Google to take care of it. And I can know that Broad's best practices and expertise are being applied on my data so I can get trusted analysis uh, from the leaders in the, the genomics uh, world uh, with Broad's tools running on scalable, robust infrastructure from Google lets any researcher easily use best practices to work with their data. I think for some of our listeners, this may all still remain somewhat of a mystery. Perhaps you can explain some of the ways your customers actually use the, the Google Genomics platform. Sure. And I think I'll, uh, uh, maybe I'll do a medium deep dive on one of our customers, one of the, the collaborators we're working very closely with is Autism Speaks. And Autism Speaks is a large uh, nonprofit funder of research and care, uh, in autism, in all the, uh, in autism spectrum disorder. One of their major projects they call the Missing Database, MSSNG. Uh, it's at mss.ng on the web. And the missing database is a resource being made available to all qualified researchers in the spirit of open science to provide information about, including genomic information, about individuals with autism and make it available to all researchers. So what we're doing with them is we're providing the data platform 
that as they work with their, their donor families who have said, I would like to contribute my data to help research into this condition, as they work with those families, they gather the raw data, the, the, raw, the raw samples from the families, they have it processed, and then they upload the data to Google's cloud. Once it's in Google's cloud, we help them import the data into Google Genomics and make it available to researchers using Google Genomics APIs, Google Genomics tools, Google Genomics interfaces, Google Genomics UIs. Autism Speaks has also built uh, a layer, a UI layer, or a portal, a researcher portal, on top of the, the underlying data. And when you put that all together, what they have is they've created a resource which allows any qualified researcher get permission from Autism Speaks. Once they get permission, they now can come to Google and analyze this data, explore this data, compare this data with the data from their own lab, from their, the, own, their, the families that they're working with and use a whole range of tools, anything from point-and-click user interfaces to command line tools to actually writing their own custom code to using bioinformatics tools like R&R Studio to, to look for patterns, look for correlations. So what this is doing is it's taking information from 10,000 individuals from families with autism it's making it available to all qualified researchers, and it's doing it with state-of-the-art tools available with a level of different capabilities, all without the researchers having to worry about how am I going to set up my my data center, how am I going to configure my, you know, who's my IT person going to be, where am I going to download all this data. They don't have to do any of that. Autism Speaks families are providing the data. Autism Speaks is providing the autism-specific savvy and know-how. Google is providing the infrastructure. Researchers are coming with their questions. Put that all together, and we are hopeful that this is going to really accelerate understanding and therefore eventually intervention uh, and treatment and, and care for families with autism. So that's one example. Um, I can do quickly, I'll do another example that's similar but different, which is we're working with the National Cancer Institute to take some of their data around cancer from a data set called the Cancer Genome Atlas, TCGA, and make it available in the cloud. It has a lot of similarities to what Autism Speaks is doing in that it's take the data, put it in the cloud, wrap it with tools, make it available to researchers. But it's being tuned differently because of the different types of data you care about when studying cancer and the different types of questions you would want to ask when studying cancer. What's common about these and most of our customers is what they're doing is taking the data they've gathered and putting it in an environment where they can use the best available tools and they can collaborate with other people around that data and those tools. In the rare disease arena, many of the diseases are genetically driven and there's much hope being placed in the emerging world of genomics, providing new understandings, diagnostics, and therapies to a large group of diseases where there are still not many answers. Any sense on how broadly your platform is being used to address questions of rare diseases? It's early days. I think it's early days for the field in general, and it's early days for the use of our platform in that area. I think autism is probably either the rarest of the common diseases or the most common of the rare diseases. So that's that. That's the, the largest single example I know of. 
I'm actually really looking forward to the conversations I expect to have with people, uh, both you know, both on the stage and in the hallways at Global Genes, to learn more about from the community about when and where they believe the tools like we're offering can make a bigger difference and really have a uh, have uh, those com- conversations have a big impact on the way that we make our tools useful to the rare disease community. Well, we are at this amazing moment of biology and computing coming together. How do you see what Google Genomics is doing as transforming healthcare today as we know it? I I see us as enabling and empowering the community. I think that what we are doing is we are taking a community that is right at the cusp of a huge transformation in how we understand and and work with human health. And we at Google and Google Genomics are able to, are hoping to empower that community with bigger and better tools to move us towards the end state where deeper understanding of how we all work is going to lead to more effective prevention and intervention. And I sometimes think by analogy, I think about the web itself. And the web, you know, the web didn't exist in 1998. It was in 1995 that it really started to come into being. And it started out as a very uh, promising but simple tool to say, hey, I can look at these pages from other people's computers on my computer. Isn't that neat? And then over the last the last couple of decades, the layers of innovation that have been unlocked with, you know, you, know, you think about, about search, you think about Wikipedia, you think about, you, you think about Amazon, you think about uh, Airbnb and Uber, you think about all the different ways in which organizing the world's web pages in making them universally accessible and useful has had a, has had a growing impact on the world. I'm really looking forward to the same happening with the world's health information. And I think that, you know, our goal with Google Genomics is to empower and accelerate that transformation. David Glazer, Director of Engineering for Google and Director of Google Genomics. David, thanks so much for your time today. My pleasure, Danny. It was good talking to you. If you'd like to learn more about Google Genomics and meet David Glazer, Join Global Genes for the fourth annual Rare Patient Advocacy Summit, September 24th and 25th in Huntington Beach, California. To learn more, go to globalgenes.org forward slash 2015 summit. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.